0: All right, all right it's real life real equity with your host justin and keisha brooks welcome to the show our goal is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business as real estate investors our mission is to model educate and inspire you to act by sharing easy to implement tools ideas and information to add more worth to your net worth more cash to your cash flow helping you achieve your goals in less time welcome to the show Alright welcome back to the show everybody our guest today worked in Silicon Valley since graduating from Santa Clara University 20 plus years ago after wasting time and money in his 20s he found real estate investing and more specifically buy and hold rental properties and never look back. He focused on his day job and grew his rental property portfolio from a single rental house to a financial freedom in 15 years. Now that he is no longer at his day job, he shares his story via his self-published book available on Amazon called One Rental at a Time and via his YouTube channel also called One Rental at a Time. Busy professionals need to know they have a way out. He also has a special interest in helping kids 15 to 25 see that they do not have to have a corporate job for 40 years and pray for a good 401k. He shows them that they have options and goes by the philosophy, the sooner we can open their eyes, the better. With that philosophy in mind, he sponsors a monthly book report challenge for youth and sends out $100 each month to the Best Book Report. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause for our guest today, Michael Zuber. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: Good. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what you did before you became an entrepreneur. All right. So uh,
1: my name is Michael Zuber. As was mentioned earlier, I am in Mountain View, California, which if you don't know where that is, just think what is often called the Bay Area or maybe Silicon Valley. Uh, hmm. I have lived here my in- entire life. So I've, I've seen it grow up from cherry orchards to uh, ridiculous housing price it is now and never left. I was a Silicon Valley tech worker for many years. Sales guy, owned you know, West Coast, the nation, and then the world in and, and different sales capacities. And, you know, kind of my story in real estate or being an entrepreneur begins on my 30th birthday. I was already making six figures, but I did something I do every year. And I I kind of looked myself in the mirror and said, you know, what's going on in your life? And I realized that I had nothing to show for my 20s. It was sparked by that book that many people have read by now, Rich Dad, Poor Dad.
0: Yep, yep, yep. You know that one.
1: It's the only book I read cover to cover five times in a row because it.
0: Oh my God! Wow! Wow! Uh,
1: it shook me to my core. It was just a different way of thinking. I was raised by caring and loving parents. You know, they were not entrepreneurs. They were both in the military. Uh, went right from high school to the military, and their dream for me was to go to school, get a good education, get a good job, and, and you know, make a lot of money. And you know, wow. on my thirtieth on my thirtieth birthday, would have they would have said you know, quote unquote, you're successful. But I certainly didn't feel successful after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I had nothing to show for it. I had, you know, silly toys, uh, a couple of nice experiences, but no real wealth, certainly no income properties. And I knew that if I wanted to, you know, be successful in my own mind, I needed to Drastically change what I was doing, so you know that's where it began, and and the focus became buy and hold rentals, and that's kind of who I was. And you know, fifteen years later, you know, you build a big enough portfolio, and you actually leave the rat race. It's it's absolutely possible. What what he talks about in that book is possible. It took me fifteen years, but we did it. The wife left five years ago, and I left uh, now sixteen months ago.
0: Wow! So, talk to us a little bit more about the rentals. Yeah, so rental properties is
1: is interesting, right? When you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I still remember Kim Kiyosaki talking about that condo she bought in in Oregon, I believe it was, you know, making a hundred dollars in cash flow, and you know I didn't know any better, right? This fit, this is now probably 16 years ago, so 2003, if you can believe it, before the crash, and you know I didn't know anything. Again, I've already stated I I live in the Silicon Valley, so I I wasted a year kind of looking in my backyard, right? The book said 30 minutes from home. Give it a shot. We spent 52 weekends looking for something, and nothing worked. Long story short, we broke down a California map, and, and we found Fresno, California, uh, which is two and a half hours away one way as the first market that made sense. And I still remember that first property we bought an eighteen eighteen Norris Drive. You know, back I think it was 107 grand, and it rented for 10.95. You know, we've had a couple of interesting pivots in our journey, as you might suspect of 15 years. The first one comes. You know, right around 2007, when the real estate market is on the cusp of collapsing, we didn't know what was going on, frankly, because again, we're still naive. We have probably seven properties at the time, but we're trying to buy the next one and nothing makes sense, right? That same house we bought for 107 that cash flowed, you know, a little was now selling or worth 269, but the rent was the same. So, I mean, just nothing wow. made sense. Wow. So, we, yeah, so we went to a real estate meetup. And we're introduced to a concept we knew nothing about, which was small commercial properties, five to 20 units. And again, uh, if it wasn't for that real estate meetup and networking and all of that, we would have, you know, we, we frankly wouldn't be retired because what we found was at that time small multifamilies were on sale, right? Just put numbers, right. to, numbers out there is we ended up 1031 exchanging that first house for 260 something that rented for 1100. For a five-unit building that we got for two twenty-three, so roughly fifty k less or forty k less, but rented for three grand, and you know we quickly realized that our cash flow was exploding in that example, and uh, you know so I'm a very simple person, so if some is good, more is better. We took those first eight properties and ten thirty-one exchanged all of them, and went into about eighty units uh, over a twelve-month a period. So. You know we went from owning just single family homes to having no single family homes in, in all small apartment buildings when the market crashed, and you know good timing, lucky, whatever you want to call it. We survived the crash extremely well because cash flow went up, rents went up. our balance sheet maybe suffered a little bit, uh, but it didn't matter right we We were buy and hold people we didn't really care what our balance sheet said. we wanted the cash, we wanted mailbox money, whatever you want to call it right and right so our journey continues to the crash you know we have six-figure jobs. We have 800 credit scores. You know, We're trying to buy more stuff, but we walk into banks with this portfolio of real estate and they basically laugh us out the door. Uh, because one thing that people um, need to realize is that lending turned off to, for real estate investors for years. Right? Right. You, yeah. right? They only wanted to loan to you if you had zero, which was really odd. Right? Yeah. If you had no rentals, they'd, no investment properties, they'd lend to you all day. Uh, but if you had you know, lots, they wouldn't talk to you. It was, it was an odd environment. So the other pivot point in our journey is we had to find another way to buy because everything was on sale. We bought. We leveraged hard money. We found out that, that a better way to do it was with private money. And you know, over the course of four years or so of the crash, we added you know another seventy-five or a hundred units to our portfolio. Anything from houses to more apartments. And then the you know the real estate market bounced off the bottom. The hedge funds come in, and everything's worth more. Cash flow increases. Our net cash flow exceeds our monthly expenses because. Something we haven't talked about was the real key to this is sacrifice living below your means. Mm, um, that's really so good. You, Yeah. So if you live modestly, you can get out of the rat race a lot faster. You know, we, we focused on earning, saving and investing. We really got clear on what a need versus a want was. Uh, all of our needs and our daughter's needs were covered without question. Some of our daughter's wants were, were covered without question but as far as the wife and I go, we were only focused on covering our needs. We sacrificed, you know, new cars. We never moved. We still live in a very small condo when we could have moved five times. 15 years of sacrifice, live below your means. It's okay not to have a Ferrari in the garage, I promise you. And, uh, you know, you can retire early with buy and hold rentals.
0: Wow, really powerful story. I just, I wanna highlight you. 15 years, Mm -hmm. that's dedication. And I know a lot of times in today's, especially in today's social media environment, this is one of our big missions to really highlight reality behind entrepreneurship. 15 years is in the grand scheme of things, not that long. It's okay. not that long of, a, of an amount of time to really put towards investing in building a business. But when you think about it in today's perspective, that seems like a long time with the microwave culture we've created. I and mean, it's like, Man, 15 years. I got to wait 15 years when this guru is saying I could do it in two weeks, you know, and this other guru is saying that I'll be a millionaire next year if I just follow his six easy steps. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. I fell into the trap too. But I, I really wanted to highlight that because it's very admirable. 15 years is a, a long time in today's terms to really stick with something a long time in the grand scheme of things, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple other things I hope your your listeners take from this. It, one is, one is the 15-year journey, the sacrifice, staying committed, being together, right? The wife and I were mm-hmm. together on this. But the other one is, this was a side hustle for us, right? It wasn't called a side hustle because I'm old, but that's what it's <laughs> called today. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it's just what it is. But, that, but that's okay, right? I was the very best and my wife was the very best employee we could be from, you know, 8 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Right. Yeah. We, we built this side hustle, this, this large portfolio of rentals as a side hustle on purpose. And, um, you know, this, not only the microwave culture, but this whole idea of just quit your job, jump in with both feet. You got this, blah, 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 is, um, not the best option for most people, right? We don't, right, we, don't right. we don't need to quit our jobs, right? The, the un- unemployment rates below 4% go get that money, but people start living below your means, figure out your wants and needs, Earn as much as you can, save and then invest, and it just starts to build and compound what it starts as a little drip becomes a small stream to a raging river and I am very nervous for people that go hey i'm you know i'm I'm giving my notice and I'm going to go do wholesaling or flipping or whatever and I got this and rah 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 why don't you keep your job? you know sacrifice some TV time or some sleep or something else and and do this as a side hustle for a couple of years until you replace your income. That was something we did is we lived before my wife left five years ago. We lived for a full year uh, saving her income just to see if we could, right? We pretended like it didn't exist, put it in a totally separate account before she quit. We thought we could, but we wanted proof Right. because right. we weren't, we weren't going to go back. So I'm trying to help people understand that a side hustle, 15 year journey. I think most people get it done in under 10, uh, but shoot, if it takes 15, uh, that's okay, right? I, I left at 45. So I bought yep. 20 right. years of freedom. Uh, you know, uh, that that's an okay deal.
0: I agree. Exactly. 100%. exactly. That's a wow, really powerful story. And I would say, you know, what's three nuggets, you just gave us like a huge amount of wisdom and knowledge in the story you just talked about. But talk about the day you didn't feel confident. Like talk about what it is that when you got started, what it is that you were facing and the probably what I remember to be that mountain and then how you overcame that mountain of how am I going to retire from my job?
1: Well, I'll talk about one mountain and then you know a mountain on steroids in, in the same story. So a couple of things, right? So again, remember we spent a year doing what the books told us to do, right? And I mean like books going to a bookstore, not like Amazon delivered to your house.
0: Right my, right, my
1: journey starts in two thousand two, two thousand three. Right, um, so we drove every weekend. Sunday, Sunday was our day. Usually, about four hours, we would drive somewhere in the Silicon Valley looking for a cash flow house. We were certain that positive cash flow was our answer. And again, all that the books said, "Go to your backyard." It's right, a lot of people listening to this probably live in an expensive area that just doesn't make sense for cash flow. We had to make a choice: either we were going to stop, which would have been heartbreaking. Or two, we had to find another area. So we knew that we were kind of control freaks, both type A. Uh, So we had to go see, touch, feel what we owned. So out of state was not an answer for us. And maybe it is for others. So we pulled out a California map and we found Fresno. Why Fresno? First, it was large. It's the fifth largest city in California. It's got about a million people in the county. It had survived the dot-com crash fairly well because it has no tech industry. And at the time, you could live there pretty well on 60K a year, which is crazy for California. Wow. But the problem, right? The first thing to your point is we knew absolutely no one. I had literally driven through Fresno once on the way to Yosemite when I was 13, right? knew (laughs) No one. Didn't have anybody in my family with real estate experience. All I had was this purple book from Robert Kiyosaki and I was all in. And, you know, at the time there was this thing called the 1% rule. And the first time we found a house right. that made sense was that eighteen eighteen Norris Drive, and we bought it for one oh seven and, and rented for eleven hundred. We were nervous. It was the only thing we ever saw. I remember pulling over on the way back on a road called Highway ninety nine and going, "Okay, honey, what are we gonna do?" And, and you know, to her credit, she looked me in the eyes. She says, "We either write an offer, or I'm never coming back." I'm like, "Whoa, okay."
0: Oh wow, <laughs> got it, honey. And straightforward. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> like I'm done. Right, this is a two and a half hour drive. Is crazy, so uh, we called the agent. Wrote it full price, right? We didn't know about discounting. We we thought because list price was list price, you had to offer that. But you know, again, we didn't know anything. Uh, we put twenty percent down. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do, right? We again, we knew absolutely nothing, but we jumped in with both feet. So we just, you know, blind faith probably at that point. But the story, unfortunately, starts. It gets rough from there. So we're excited. We buy the house. It closes on time. You know, twenty percent down. Roughly half of our nest egg goes into this house, if you can believe that. And our um, tenant moves in, right? We we approve, we do everything right, credit check, reference checks. You know, everything you're supposed to do happens, right? And again, we're paying a property manager because we don't live out there. And uh, what we don't know is the couple with I think I had a kid or so. We're in. We're having relationship problems. And two weeks after moving in, they split up. Wife takes off. Oh no! Uh, oh yeah, it gets worse from there. So the husband doesn't take well to this. Decides to take rent money and uh, continually stay drunk, and um, you know doesn't pay his rent and just keeps drinking and drinking and drinking and and frankly destroying our property. Um, oh wow! We've already shared this is in California, so it takes about sixty days to get a non-paying tenant out. You know, so think about that Whoa. first time. First time landlords, we got a deposit and first month's rent. We never saw another penny. Fast forward, I don't know, 75 days or so, they're finally out. We have to pay $1,000 for the eviction fee. We go in and get a bid to turn it. It's now in $15,000 repair bill. And um, we're like, what the heck just happened, right? So, right, we talk about that first mountain, just jumping in with blind faith. Now we've been kicked in the teeth in a market we don't know, with people we really don't know. And this fifteen grand is going to take roughly half the, the rest of our nest egg. Yeah. And again, right, we, we, I look at Olivia, that's my wife's name and go, what are we going to do? Right. I, I fully expected her to say, sell this dump. We don't know the area. Landlording's not for us. Blah, blah. I mean, I, I, I'm ready for it. Right. And frankly, I couldn't blame her. Right. I was, I was kind of leaning that direction also. And she looked at me and goes, you know, did we do anything wrong? No. Right. We, we, we double checked and she looked at me in the eyes and go, well, this is, you know, cost of doing business. We knew this was possible. Uh, and we just we just." we move forward and you know the story improves from there the next tenant moves in there's never a problem we we 1031 out of the house and buy an apartment building and you know the the story of Norris Drive starts bad really really bad but it it ends extremely well so we still own that small apartment building today we're thankful for it it's part of our nest egg that pays our bills and uh, Olivia gets a lot of credit cuz i promise you 99% of the people listening to this and people that i talk to would have quit being a landlord after that first experience, yes, you know, we've, they would. We, yeah, we've now had thousands of tenants uh, over the fifteen years, and we have two stories like that. One happened to be our first one, and then about a decade later, we had another one in a small apartment building that was equally ridiculous. They don't happen that often, but they, as as I've shared, it it can happen, and when it happens on your first one, it can be debilitating. We looked ourselves in the mirror and said, you know, yeah, we we knew this was possible, and. We took the lessons learned from it that we could, but we kept moving forward. And boy, am I thankful we did. It would have been very easy to quit.
0: Heck yeah, man. I mean, like I can, I, yeah, that the story really resonates. A lot of people think it's just buy it, And then the tenants will come and it's going to be so easy. And it's going to be (laughs) money and happiness and sunshine and rainbows because this is the picture they paint. Yeah. But the reality is your first property is the AC unit goes out on you and you have no idea what to do. this is our story. AC unit went out on us. We had no idea what to do. And, you know, it's an elderly couple and we're going to home Depot buying the, you know, the portable air conditioning until Mm -hmm. the, because we got a home warranty And we're like, oh, yeah, we got a home warranty. So we can definitely, you know, get it fixed through that. And it's just, yeah, it turned into one of those nightmare scenarios because the home warranty didn't work out. And (laughs) it's been there. Exactly. So, I mean, with that story, I mean, you've had this years of experience. Let me ask you this because you said it was at age 30 when you realized this is what I want to do. What would you tell your younger self today at the age you are now? What would you tell your 20 something year old self?
1: Uh, I would tell my younger self to stop buying things to impress people you don't care about, right? When I think about what I did in my 20s, I, I you know, I bought ridiculously priced shoes and belts and, you know, just these stupid status symbols that I I never wear. Um, I'm not even sure where half of them are. And I would tell myself that climbing the corporate ladder is not for you. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that my loving parents sort of imparted on me. And, and, and again, they would have called me successful, right? I'm the only person in my entire family, including aunts, uncles, cousins, niece, nephews, all of them to have a multiple degrees from college and to make six figures uh, at that age. And I, I was quote unquote successful, but I wasn't. And I would tell myself, earn, save, invest instead of earn, spend, earn, spend. I lived so close to the razor's edge for a decade that I now realize how foolish that was. You don't need, again, that need versus want thing's a big deal. Uh, and then obviously, get, figure out the real estate game earlier. You know, I lost 10 years and, and I've actually done the numbers. If I would have started when I was 20 or maybe 22 when I graduated college, I could have re- retired when I was 33 or 34. And um, I could have bought an extra 11 years of freedom. So, uh, I would tell my younger self to grind during the day right and and create a side hustle that is something that will truly be life changing.
0: Wow, so let's talk a little bit now about um, you gave us some of the lows of, of what it what it meant to be uh, that first property in uh, that first tenant, that's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, talk to us about some of the realities now. Being a full-time entrepreneur, full-time real estate investor, what does that look like? And then what are the realities behind that? How are you looking to level up? How are you, what are some of the things that aren't necessarily the highlights that you would put on Facebook, but the realities behind your day-to-day life?
1: Uh, that's a good question. So I guess there's a couple of things if I kind of peel that back First off, a couple of the realities that, that I think people would like to know is when I've looked at our portfolio, and again, I'm a numbers guy, right? I have an MBA, an econ, an accounting degree, right? So numbers come naturally to me. Uh, a couple of the facts, again, in our portfolio, right? Maybe they resonate to others is our average tenure in a house is over eight years. So wow. when you have a single family home of good quality, that is often the goal for renters is to live in a house versus an apartment. Right, uh, on the, right. On the flip side of that, the average tenure of our apartments is just over two and a half years. Because again, there may be a younger crowd, you know, everybody's on top of each other. Um, their goal is to probably get to a house. So these are some things that that, you know, new investors don't really appreciate, right? Especially in today's environment of bigger is better. Right. If, right. If, and yes, you can do all the monthly cash flow statements you want, but the reality of being a buy and hold landlord from a guy who owns a fair bit is a unit turn is what kills you. It will crush your month for sure. And if you're not careful, it could ruin your year for that property or that building.
0: If it's a big turn. (laughs) So realize
1: those things and don't believe the hype around bigger is better. And, you know, I believed it for years and frankly, it was true for a long time, but there are so many people chasing Grant Cardone or being a LP or, or GEP for syndications that the price of apartments have gotten ridiculous. And if, if the average turn of a house is eight years versus the average turn of an apartment's two and a half, you know, run those numbers through your spreadsheet and an average turn in an apartment certainly is less because they're smaller. It's about 2,500. An average turn in a house is about five grand, but just run the numbers and you're going to realize that some of these glorified numbers in spreadsheets are fake. And whether they're dishonest or not is, you know, you, you can decide, but they're certainly misleading and priced for perfection. And I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of limited partners who are jumping into syndications that are going to lose their butt uh, in five to six years because commercial financing is not 30 year fixed. It will reset. It will likely reset in a higher interest rate environment and people are going to be in trouble and some people are going to lose their money and that's a shame.
0: Wow. wow. So the
1: other things to talk about our day, uh, again, we, we still live very modestly we were happy to say that, you know, mailbox money does pay for our bills, but we don't live extravagantly. We got used to living below our means. So, you know, uh, I spend probably an hour or two a day looking at real estate online. Cause again, I don't, I still don't live in Fresno. You know, I have a, I have a YouTube channel that marries the book. I have one rental at a time that I try to create daily content for. I just need to be busy, right? I'm still relatively young and, and full of energy.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. So,
1: yeah. So those are things I kind I kinda want to do. But my biggest takeaway was when I after I left the rat race at forty five, something you need to realize if if you don't have a plan like I did, I just left because I had always planned on leaving at fifty because I loved my job. But situations change, bosses change, and sometimes you just gotta go. Right. And, exactly. Yeah, and I left and I had two days of just sheer excitement, but then I went into a pretty nasty depression because My life was made up in being good at what I did and and running geographically diverse teams, accomplishing crazy things. And suddenly I didn't have that. It's really weird to say that, you know, you're you're quote unquote retired, but you're getting more and more depressed every day. So after about four or five weeks, uh, it came to a a head. I was either going to go get a job, which I would have been so disappointed in myself. Or I was going to find a way to stay busy. So, you know, that YouTube channel, writing the book helped. So I just need to cover a couple hours a day, you know, do podcasts like this just to give back. And then I feel like we're good. So we we go out to eat every day, try to exercise every day. You know, we we do what we want. We try to take a trip every 90 days or so. So, you know, I've got to fill my cup, as I call it, and and feel like I'm contributing still. Else I would go get a job and boy, that would be...
0: Oh, man, what an amazing interview, right? Yes, it was real good. Oh, my God. So it wouldn't have done this episode justice to, one, not only break what we have coined as our little inside rule where we don't go over like 30 to 35 minute podcast. Right. (laughs) We figured, you know, if you can get. 20 to 25 minutes of value, and in rare cases, 30, 35 minutes, then you're good. So what we're going to start doing, and as you will start to see more often, when we have really good podcasts, we're going to break them up into two sections. Yes. And so this is no different. So much value being added that we had to do a second part. Yes, as a part two. So with that being said, look forward to next week's podcast where we will do part two with Michael Zuber. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com. Or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.